Welcome to Crossroads Church in Rowlett. We're so glad you're here. Join us here for our weekly sermons or visit crossroadsrowlett.org for more information. Well, Zach and Ryan talked a little bit about New Year's resolutions, and we all know the normal ones. I want to get out of debt. I want to lose weight. I want to do all these kind of things. If you don't have your New Year's resolution yet, I came up with some that I thought you might enjoy, um, and they're a little bit different, okay? This comes from my brain, so it doesn't all look normal. How about this? You can make this your New Year's resolution. Uh, Practice the art of remembering where you left your keys at least twice a week. Crystal. Uh, Just throwing that out there. Sorry. Um, Start a dance revolution by mastering your signature dance move that you can bust out anywhere. Not that many people into that one. Okay, here we go. Perfect the art of speaking only in movie quotes, and then you'll be a blockbuster in every conversation. It will be amazing. What about this? (laughs) Start a culinary experiment where you create a dish I realize not all these are grounded in reality. I'm just going to say that right off the bat. Where you create a dish that tastes like pizza, but has the nutritional value of salad. Please make that your New Year's resolution, because I would love it. Um, Practice the art of a parallel universe hopping. Again, not reality. Practice the art of parallel universe hopping just in case there is some universe out there where chocolate makes you skinny. All my chocolate people. This is going to be a very chocolate-based couple of here, right here. Master the art of eating an entire entire chocolate cake, because we're not quitters. Um, Master the art of eating an entire chocolate cake without leaving any evidence. It will combine the art of stealth, speed, and the love of chocolate. That's a news resolution I get behind. What about this? Achieve the ultimate level of mindfulness by ignoring at least 99% of all the notifications on your phone. (laughs) Practical. This is my favorite one. Learn a new language, preferably the one spoken by our cats. (laughs) Now we will finally know what our furry overlords are up to. Lastly, start start a support group for people who laugh at their own jokes. (laughs) You're all in. There you go. All right. Congratulations. Well, we know that these things do not get kept. Zach said this uh, a little bit earlier. People give up. uh, A bunch of them give up by the first week. By February 1st, 80% of people have bailed on their New Year's resolutions. And what we hoped for was we hoped that these would be words that would change our life. Like, that's what we hoped. That was the intention behind it, is that you want to get something done in your life. Maybe it's something you've struggled with for days, weeks, months, years, decades, and you go into this New Year's resolution hoping that these words are going to be life-changing words. And the truth is that we know what it feels like to have life-changing words in our life. There are some big ones that all of us have experienced. For example, I do is a life-changing word in your life. I'm pregnant is a life-changing word. Parents, can I get a good amen? Anybody? Okay. Um, I quit. You're fired. We're debt-free. I want a divorce. That will change your life. You should probably sit down for this. Cancer. The Rangers won the World Series. That is life-changing words, I promise you. What about this word? Probably not one you think about as often about being a life-changing word, but it's the word now. Now. It's a sense of immediacy, the sense of of action, the the sense of, of anticipation that if I could do something right now. There was a doctor recently, um, he was quoted because he was asked if people live longer now than any other time, and he said, people seem to be living longer, but people aren't living longer, they're just taking longer to die. He's cheery. Like, I don't want us to simply take longer to die, I want us to live on mission. Are you with me, church? Like, we don't want to just exist, the only day that we know we have is what day? Today. Today right 
now. The Bible says don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. See, the most dangerous word in the Bible, the most dangerous word in many of our lives is simply the word tomorrow, that we put it off till tomorrow because we love to procrastinate. Several years ago in a TED Talk, um, there is a doctor, his name is Tim Urban, and he did a, a, a TED Talk called Inside the Mind of a Master Procrastinator. And he showed a bunch of MRIs inside the human brain. Now, I know not all of you are doctors. I have a pretty intense level of education, so I'll explain these images as we go. I'm going to show you the inside of a human brain. Here's the first one. So, um, this is what it looks like inside your head. That you are a rational decision maker. I want to do something. I want to take control of some area of my life. I want to steer my life to the direction that I want it to go. And I want to do it when? Right now. Right? And then this person joins you in your head. The instant gratification monkey. And the instant gratification monkey jumps in your brain and goes, but wait, what if we did this thing for a little while. Don't worry, we'll get back to that other thing in just a minute. See, here's what starts to happen. You can go to the next one for me. Um, like your brain, the rational decision maker says, this is a perfect time to get some work done. And the instant gratification monkey says, here's what he does. I want you to check this out. Let's watch a bunch of YouTube videos of creatures in the deep sea. And then we'll go on a YouTube spiral that takes us to Richard Feynman talking about the string theory and ends with us watching interviews of Justin Bieber's mom continue and then we'll reorganize all of our to-do lists we'll check sock prizes on amazon and we'll split our iphone albums into smaller more specific albums and then what happens is this and then it'll be two o'clock and we'll have an appointment by 4 30 so it'll be too late to really start any work on what we actually needed to do and you start to freak out and the panic monster jumps into your brain and everything goes haywire has anybody ever met the panic monster Yes, it's when you have put off and you've put off. It's college students that are in for the break. It's the assignment you knew six weeks ago. And in a few days, you'll start back and you go, okay, I only have one more week. I got to get this done. And in a few days, you're going to go, I only have four more days. I got to get this done. And then a couple of days later, you're going to be, school starts tomorrow. I should probably start this process. And the panic monster sets in. As adults, we never experience that. <laughs> if you are a master procrastinator, please raise your hand. Okay? If you are married to a master procrastinator, please raise your Oh, there we go. All right. Why do we procrastinate? God puts something on our heart. We have this burden to do something. Why do we put it off? A couple of reasons I'm going to give you. Number one is indecision. We are paralyzed by choice. When you used to go to a restaurant or a fast food place, they say, what do you want to drink? You would tell them the drink, and that would be it. Now they give you a cup, and you stand in front of a machine that looks like this. And it will say, there are 1,437,283 possible drink combinations. Choose. We don't know what to do. I normally want Dr. Pepper, but this Dr. Pepper I can have with cherry or vanilla or with some other thing that I've never tried before. And we panic and freak out. It's the same thing that happens with us on Netflix. Netflix put out a pie chart. It looks like this. The blue is the time spent looking for a movie, and the red is the time spent watching Netflix. Indecision. For others, it's not indecision. It's perfectionism. That you go, well, I'll do this thing once the perfect conditions all happen. I'll have a kid. We'll have a kid when we're debt-free and everything is good and we have $100 billion in the bank. Then we'll have a child. How many of you go, we had kids and it was not the best timing? We still love you kids, I'm just saying. Because if you wait for the perfect conditions to do something, you will simply what? Never do it. It's never going to happen. And you'll end up wasting your life on good intentions if you're not careful. For others, it's fear. There's a great story in the book of Exodus of the people of God coming out of captivity and Moses leading them. You've seen the movies, let my people go, all that kind of stuff. Now, Israel ends up wandering for 40 years in the wilderness, but do you know that it was not a 40-year journey? The trip from Egypt to the, the, the promised land was eight days. They wandered for 40 years when what should have been an eight-day journey because they procrastinated based on fear of what was in the land. Here's this little quote I want to share with you that will be on the screen. It says, 
There was a very cautious man who never laughed or played. He never risked, he never tried, he never sang or prayed. And when one day he passed away, his insurance was denied, for since he never really lived, they claimed he never died. Starts off sounding almost like it's going to be funny, doesn't it? It packs a punch there at the end. See, Jesus did not die on the cross so that you and I would live a fear-filled life. Another one that keeps us back is laziness. And if we're honest, there's a lot of people, this is just the reality. God has compelled us to do something, and we have made excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse. And what I want us to do going uh, into our new year and as we wrap up 2023 is simply confess the sin of wasting God's resources. He has given us talent. He has given us gifts that he intended to use for his mission and his ministry, and we have squandered them or we have used them all on ourselves in selfish endeavors. For others, it's about avoiding commitment. Well, I, if, if, I, if I procrastinate, I don't have to commit to anything. And if I keep putting it off and keep putting it off, I won't have to commit. Because commitment takes a lot, right? Commitment is going to take a serious amount. So instead of commitment, oftentimes what we want is just a simple contribution. There's a story, it's not a realistic story, but it's kind of a little uh, children's story. It's called the story of the chicken and the pig. And the chicken and the pig see a homeless guy. And the chicken and the pig have a conversation that said, hey, we should really do something for this homeless guy. And the chicken goes, you know what I think we should do? I think we should make him breakfast. And the pig says, what should we make him? And the chicken goes, I think we should make him ham and eggs. And the pig said, from you, that will take a contribution. From me, it's going to take a commitment. I'll let you sit in that one for a minute. See, a contribution takes very little, but a commitment is going to cost everything. For other people, the reason that we procrastinate is that we choose comfort over growth. That what I really want in my life is I want to be comfortable where I am. I want everything to be just so. Like we, we search for this, and we talked about this on Christmas Eve, this idea of peace, and we equate peace in a worldly sense that it's going to be everything happening exactly the way I want it, perfect circumstances, but the Bible never describes perfect circumstances in this life. It says in this world you will have trouble. What it does promise is that we follow God when he calls us. We may not get perfect circumstances, but we will get growth and spiritual maturity and the blessing and honor of following God in what he is calling us to do. Matthew 16, verse 24 to 25 says, Then Jesus says to his disciples, If anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself and take up his what, church? Cross. His cross. Sound, does that sound comfortable to anybody? It's not comfortable. Let him take up his cross and follow me. He doesn't say pick up your iPhone or your keys or your purse or your wallet. He says take your cross and then carry your cross into your life. If you carry your cross into your marriage, you're going to live a marriage where you are dying to self and you are selfless and you are endeavoring to, endeavoring to serve the person that you are married to and it's going to make a difference in your marriage. If you take your cross and you carry it into your family, it's going to affect the way you parent because you will be selfless as you sacrifice and you are willing to lay down your life for their benefit to bring them to God and to draw them to the Lord. When you go into your work, if you're there for what you get out of it, you're going to miss everything that God has for you in it because he sent you there on on mission for him so that you can be selfless, deny yourself, and take up your cross and walk into that workplace so that when people leave at the end of the day, they don't see Jason, they see Jesus. See, he wants us to carry our cross because that's the best thing that I've got to carry into any situa situation. It will change the world and it will change it now. See, there's a cost for tomorrow. When I was a little kid, they often said, I was terrified of public transportation as a child. Because every time they gave us an illustration about putting stuff off, they used the same uh, image. If you walk outside today and get hit by a... I don't know what the deal with buses in the 80s and 90s was. It was apparently taking people out right and left. But it was an image of procrastination. If you wait, you could go outside and get hit by a bus. And what they're really trying to say is that we constantly say, one of these days, one of these days, one of these days, one of these days. And if we're honest, one of these days often becomes none of these days. And it'll fill your life with regret. I talked about the people coming out of the Exodus. You know, people of God are held in captivity for hundreds of years, and they finally are coming out. Well, the reason they got out is because God sent a series of plagues. Again, maybe you've seen the movies. And one of the plagues is a plague of frogs. 
Just imagine every place in this building covered with frogs, everywhere you go outside covered with frogs. It would be pretty disgusting and annoying, and you could do nothing. It would be gross everywhere. And I want you to listen to this weird interaction that Moses has with Pharaoh. And he goes to Pharaoh and he says, okay, God will get rid of the frogs. Will you, be, will you obey what God said? And he goes, yeah, I will. And he goes, well, when do you want the frogs to leave? What should the answer have been? Right now. But in Exodus chapter 8, verse 10, Pharaoh says, how about tomorrow? That is stupid on steroids, people. <laughs> like, you should want them out right now, but just like him, many of us are tortured with procrastination. We have the when-then situation that we have in our life where we go, well, when life slows down, then I'll get healthy. When the kids grow up, then we'll work on our marriage. When we're financially secure, then we'll become generous. When we know more, then I'll witness to my parents. When my kids get done with sports, then I'll focus on building their faith. When I find the one, then I'll work on my relationship with God. And what we find out is that tomorrow can rob you of relationships and time and opportunity, and in some cases, even your salvation. In the New Testament, a guy named Paul is sharing the gospel with a guy named Felix. And he tells Felix about God, and he says, I want you to, to know him as your Savior. And Felix's response is, when it's convenient, I'll call for you. There is no record in Scripture that he ever made that call. He put it off. See, the truth is, Satan is the one driving the bus, killing procrastinators right and left. Why wait? There are four commitments that I want us to look at today that are now-based commitments, that we don't become procrastinators. And if we are, that we would repent of that, and we say, God, I know you want me to do something, and you want me to do it now. The first one is this, we want to live for Christ now. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, Paul says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. How many of you would love for that to be something that could be said of your life? Man, that I ran this well. I fought well. I kept my faith to the end. That I finished strong. I don't know if you know this, but in the Greek, there are two different words for the word time. There's the word chronos, and chronos means measured time. It is the daily grind. It is that one second after another clicking off the clock. It is the nine to five. It is the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, grinding out life. But there's another word for time, and it's the word kairos. And kairos is this implication of decision, that you will be decisive, that there's going to be a moment where you, through the Holy Spirit, get to respond to something that the Holy Spirit fills you in a moment and you step into it and you show the world there's a better way to live. And we want to be people whose lives are measured by Kairos. Are you with me, church? See, here's the deal. I want us to clear up that word for a minute. Church. As we go into 2024, I don't want us to be mistaken at all about what church is. And so I want to read to you a passage of Scripture where the bulk of the rest of our message is going to come from today, and we're going to get into some really cool stuff as we, as we do. But it's in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. And some of you have heard us talk about this before. We love this passage of Scripture, but I don't want you to miss this. Because I think sometimes, when you see it all over the place, including social media, um, even in the last few weeks, as people were trying to find churches to attend on Christmas Eve and places like that, and they, people put out great questions and wonderful thoughts, but they not always the right questions or thoughts. Because they're asking a, a question about church, but they're not understanding the point of a church sometimes. And it is our job to lovingly help them understand that. See, let's look at what church actually is. Starting in verse 42, they devoted, this is the believers there in Jerusalem, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe. How many people were filled with awe, church? Thank you. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the prophets. Now all the believers were together and held everything in common, and they sold their possessions and property, and they distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. And every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple. And they broke bread from house to house. And they ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of how many people? All the people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. 
See, here's what I want us to get real quick as we look at this. See, we tend to look at church wrong, so I want us to see this correctly. If we're going to commit to living for Christ now, we have got to know what the church is supposed to be about. And in order to do that, I think sometimes we have to deconstruct what it is not. This is not a movie theater. It's not a place where you come for an hour and a half or two hours of your week and then you leave and critique, was it funny? Was it inspirational? How were the snacks? Was the coffee good? Like all the, I'm not saying those things aren't important, but the most in- central question we should ask is, are they challenging us in the word of God? It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And so they walked out with the question of what should we do based on what we learned, not the question of how was it today? That's a big difference. It's also not a superstore. It's not this place that you're shopping. There's so many people that are church shopping. And the truth is, if that's you, I want you to know that we kind of created that problem as a church. That we started creating these opportunities and these situations where we were trying to like, market people into places based on all the benefits you get by coming to this church or that church. And that's not the way it should be. When we do our programs and our ministries here, we want to do them just because God has driven us and compelled us to do it. Because we believe it's life-changing. And by the way, if you're church shopping and you're going, well, I guess they're going to tell me I should go here. Well, we'd love for you to go here. But if God doesn't call you here, can I just tell you, we are, we are so blessed in our community to have so many God-loving Bible-teaching churches in our area. And I would be thrilled if you went and plugged into any of them. And I would rather you plug into one that's not called Crossroads and dig in deep and connect your life than I would have you jump from one to one to one. Because it will transform your life to get connected. See, it says all the believers were together and held all things in common. They were united in Christ. They became a family. You ever had that moment, like I've had this happen with people who know my dad. My dad's name is Brian uh, Collins, and, and every once in a while I'll meet somebody that knows my dad, and they'll go, whew, you are Brian's boy. And it's something about the way that I talk and the way that I move and the mannerisms that I use, and they go, yeah, you, uh, you look a lot like your dad. I love when I experienced that from church. A few weeks ago, somebody came into our office and they said, I got to tell you a cool story that I was, I don't remember where they were in the community, but somebody walked up to him and said, I bet you go to Crossroads. And they were like, why? And they go, I, I can just tell. I don't know exactly what that meant, but I love it. <laughs> that there's something that you resemble your family, that we resemble our father, that for us as Crossroads, it's how we serve, it's how we worship, it's how we dream. Does that mean that we don't have a bunch of Cousin Eddies in this place? We are eat up with Cousin Eddies in this room. We got some dysfunctional family, but that's okay. Those family members can be transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. The key is we're not customers. We are active family. It's not a movie theater. It's not a superstore. It's not a restaurant. It's not a place that you walk in and go, oh, I can't wait for you guys to serve me. See, spiritual maturity happens faster in the kitchen than it does at the table. We need to be actively serving other people. It says in Acts 2, they sold their possessions and property and they gave all as any had need. Man, there are tragedies after tragedies that rock our world. But can I tell you something? As much as I hate seeing those tragedies, there is this incredible blessing that in the midst of a tragedy, the church gets a chance to rise up and rock other people's world that we get a chance to be a part of what God is doing and step into mission. It's one of the things that I love so much about you guys, and you're going to hear more about that in just a minute. It's not a movie theater. It's not a superstore. It's not a restaurant. It is not a gas station. It is not a place that you come in and fill up once a week and then do not think about it again until the little light and the little dinger in your car goes off. It's someplace you're supposed to be connected to. It says in Scripture that every day they continue to meet together. Every day on the text thread with their friends, in a Bible study, in a small group, in their home, wherever it is that every day we need this. It's not that. It's also not a gym. And you go, what does that mean? It is not a place that you pay a monthly fee to and then don't go. Like the people who need to be in the gym the most don't go to the gym because they're afraid they're not in shape enough to go to the gym. And we cannot let that happen in church. It says in this that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It means that people who were not insiders, who didn't have their stuff together, were showing up in the church and their lives were being transformed every single day. That means that when you come in here to Crossroads, spiritually speaking, you can stop sucking in. 
Quit pretending. If you're not in shape, simply say, I'm not in shape. And I need Jesus. And that's what we want for people to experience. It's such an important thing. See, the church was none of those things. Here's what it was. It's a family on a mission to the world to say Jesus loves you in their words and in their actions so that the world believes it. We want to live for Christ now. Number two, we want to turn intentions into action. We want to make it now. James chapter 4, verse 17 says, It is a sin to know the good and yet not do it. Small moments cause chain reactions. We see miracles of God. It's why I love the big give that we're going to talk more about here in just a couple of minutes. Just imagine the impact of every Christian was committed to actively living for Christ right now. Acts chapter 13, verse 52 says, And the disciples were continually filled. When you hear this word, the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. It enabled them to do things that were unbelievable. It was what in their life took can't off the table. Because God can. And they turned the world upside down. And the same power that existed in them exists in us right now. Number three, live with compassion now. I will tell you, we, we've had a lot of people say that in 2023, um, we have preached extremely challenging messages from the beginning of the year all the way, hopefully, to the end of the year today. And I want to tell you, if you're looking forward to 2024, it's going to get worse. And by worse, I mean better, because we're going to continue to challenge. How many of you want your life to be challenged and changed by the power of Jesus Christ? Man, that's why we do it. We're looking, people are outside looking for something different, and if they walk into church and it doesn't offer anything different, they'll walk away from the gospel thinking that it doesn't change their life when it does. And so we want to let the gospel be challenging. There are going to be easier, cheaper, non-challenging, more comfortable places that you can go. There are social organizations where you can send checks instead of people. But we want to take Jesus' commands very seriously. And he said, go into all the world, not mail stuff into all the world. So we want to be goers. We do stuff now that makes a difference filled with the Holy Spirit. I like how Pastor Joby Martin says this. He says, how many people are not being reached in our world because well-intentioned people are still in meetings? Man, I love when we get to see stuff set in motion by God because of compassion. One of the things that we did at the Big Give is we do a thing every year called the gift card giveaway. Gift card giveaway is a place where about 40 people come together, and we have 50, uh, not 50, we have $50 gift cards. We have a whole bunch of gift cards. About $5,000 worth of gift cards were handed out in that one night, and we went out to Walmarts and Targets and different places, and we just walked up to absolute strangers. Now, there's a couple of rules. If you go, oh, I didn't see any of this on social media, let me tell you what the rules are. Rule number one is that we will never detach the gospel from giving that gift. So we will tell people about Jesus, and we will pray for them when we go and meet with them. Like imagine just walking up to people in Walmart and Target and go, hey, we don't know each other, but I want to pray for you when I talk to you about Jesus. I want to give you a free gift. There's no strings attached. You don't ever have to walk into our church ever. The second criteria is that we don't take pictures, photos, videos, or post anything about the people we give that gift to because it's not a marketing scheme. It's not to make us look good. It's just out there for us to get. We have plenty of other stuff where we get to brag on what God is doing in other areas, but this is just us walking up to people because we love them and because we want them to be surprised by hope in the middle of a Walmart. You've been surprised by a lot of stuff at Walmart, but hope's probably not one of them. <laughs> and that night, I will tell you, it happens every year, the amount of, thing, the amount of people that came back with stories of, uh, uh, yeah, these people at first didn't want to talk, but as we talked... We would always say this one phrase, like, hey, we showed up right here in this place to let you know that God sees you and he loves you. We want you to know that. And I'm telling you, that time, almost every time, tears begin to pour. And now you've got people with hands held in the middle of places, in the parking lots of places, and you think, well, how could that possibly impact somebody's life? I will tell you, there's lots of ways. There are people in our church today because they were reached out to and loved in that ministry. There are people that attended our Christmas Eve service last Sunday and walked up to me and said, hey, I just wanted you to know the reason we showed up here just to listen was because somebody showed up and just handed us a gift card. It's amazing, the chain reaction. Could you just imagine what God can do with that? What if, God, what if the gospel gets a hold of some of those people and it trickles down into their family and then into their kids and then into their grandkids and into their great-grandkids? Can you imagine the ramifications in eternity? 
for 15 minutes of compassion. It's beautiful. And can we do anything better with our life or resources, church, than just to be compassionate and show people how much we love them? This is why we exist right now. And it leads to the fourth thing that I want to see is that we live with celebration. If you live with compassion right now, you will also live a life of celebration right now. Because you're going to get to experience some amazing things. Pastor and author Philip Yancey says this, church is like a victorious locker room. I don't know if you've ever been in a victorious locker room. Okay? Last night, I didn't think the Cowboys were going into one. Then something crazy happened. By the way, I just want all of you to know that I am reporting as an eligible preacher this morning. Uh, uh, just in case there's any referees out there. I don't want to get a flag thrown. If you're going, what just happened? Go to Twitter. You'll figure it out. But if you go into a victorious locker room, when, I, mean, I mean, you have won it all. Can you imagine what it sounds like? Let's, let's just imagine this together. Listen, don't be, listen, I, I know you guys. Let's don't right now choose to be super churchy people. Let's be normal, weird crossroads people for a minute, okay? On the count of three, I want you to sound like a victorious locker room. But here's the deal. You're not, you're not celebrating the win of some game with a ball. You're celebrating your salvation. You're celebrating the salvation of the people around you. And you're celebrating the possibility that someone today might be saved and their eternity completely changed forever. So let's do that on three. You ready? One, two, three, go. Yes. Woo. All right. <laughs> Oh, man. There you go. I, that was even more aggressive than I had thought. That was awesome. I really wanted some sparkling grape juice right then just to shoot it all over. Like, that would have been amazing. Holy cow. That was aw That's the church. That's what we get to experience. We live in victory. We are not defeated. By the power of Jesus Christ on the cross, we live in victory, church. That is a celebration. And that's why, right? Come on. Let me tell you the power of acting now. I want to share with you a couple of quick highlights, and we're going to show you a video in a minute. We got to partner for the first time with Trinity Restoration Ministries during the Big Give. If you don't know anything about Trinity, they are a prison ministry. They spend six months to a year inside prisons with incarcerated people discipling them so that when they get out, they move into an apartment complex that has been renovated in downtown Dallas, where they continue to be discipled, they continue to find healing in Jesus, they get uh, training for jobs so that they can go out and begin to do the things well that God has put into their life. And there's some amazing people that I met. I got to meet a guy named Chico uh, in the middle of that ministry. He was one of the first graduates of the program, and now he owns multiple businesses, and he is the largest individual contributor back into the ministry that saved his life. And we got a chance to partner with them. We had a team of people take stuff down to that apartment complex. They took backpacks and bedding and dishes and hygiene items and mattresses and comforters and all that kind of stuff. We partnered with Good Sam. If you don't know Good Sam over in Garland, um, they have food that goes out to, listen to this, 250 families a day get a week to two of food. They cannot come back for two weeks. So I want you to think about this. That means every day, 250 families and the families can't come back for two weeks. Do the math, you're talking thousands of families in the Garland area every two weeks, and they needed all kinds of stuff. They're about to move into a new facility. Uh, they needed some food. Our student ministry uh, collected a bunch of uh, canned goods and non-perishables to contribute, but we also bought uh, these big carts and food and electric uh, jacks or uh, uh, hydraulic jacks that they needed to move pallets of stuff around, and we got a chance to bless them and have lunch with them and give them all of these gifts. It was awesome. We also partner with Poema. I don't even know if I'm saying that right. We think of human trafficking as something that happens on other parts of the world. But Texas is the third highest trafficked state in the U.S. It happens all over our area right now, and this ministry literally trains people to drive stretches of Interstate 30 and look for children and young adults being trafficked. And we got a chance to partner with them. When they find people, they have to have a place to put them. So we helped to furnish a safe house. We put a bunch of stuff into there. 
for them, for their yard, for their room, things that they could have to have a home while they are recovering from those traumatic and unbelievable activities. James Bruner TK Ranch is an incredible ministry for adults with special needs. And we got a chance to go and partner for the first time with that ministry and provide furniture and various things like that. In the summer, one of the biggest activities that their uh, residents love to take advantage of is a pool, but the pool was broken down, the pump was broken, and because of your generosity, we got to step into it and fix those things so that those adults can have an incredible experience. We got to, many of you contributed to Christmas at Crossroads right here, and while you may not always think of that as a big give thing, let me tell you how powerful that is. The night that we kicked it off, we had, I don't know, it was like 2,000 people here um, and that came through and looked at lights, but then every night we had it up, there would be people that show up. Some nights it was only 20, 30 people. Other nights, a few hundred people would show up and walk through, and they get a chance to scan QR codes and listen to the story of Christmas and a presentation of the gospel, and we got a chance to interact with people over and over again where they just just walked onto our church property with their families, and we got a chance to connect with them. We got a chance to connect with Genesis Ministry down in Terrell, Texas. Um, if you don't know anything about them, it's an amazing ministry. It takes women that are recovering from addiction and abuse, and it brings them and their children into this safe environment. They work, they get educated. If you know anything about victims of abuse, victims of abuse are often their autonomy, their agency, their sense of self is robbed from them. And at the Genesis Center, they are actively trying to reinstill their value of who they are in Christ Jesus. It's an amazing ministry, but because their kids and everything live there in this safe site, it's difficult. And you imagine being like a nine-year-old and you live with people in like this compound. It's a difficult life for them. And they bought a playground uh, a big playground for all the kids that live in this center over a year ago. Um, they had this great idea that they would install it themselves. It's not a small playground, and they started to unpack it and realized this was not a job for amateurs. So they got a quote of $10,000 to have it installed by professionals. And it had been a year because they didn't have that money to, to put it in. Well, what was so cool, you as a church, we just walked in and said, we're going to make it happen. And on, uh, in the middle of January, that thing is going up. But what was even, yeah, come on, let's give God a hand. We're going to take a team of people down there with us. We're going to get to meet, you're going to get to meet some of those women, some of those children. We're going to get a chance to hang out with them, provide lunch for their workers. They do an incredible ministry down there. And so we're so excited to be a part of that. But on top of that, um, we have uh, Michael Bagana, who goes to our church. Uh, he uh, has a ministry called The Christian Ministry. It's a podcast that he does, and it's a podcast for a bunch of folks who are not churched. And he said, hey, I'm just going to reach out and see if anybody wants to help give. And so far, they have already contributed half of all of the cost of putting that in. So we, 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 we saved money. <laughs> I don't even know how that happened. But can we thank God for ministries that come alongside of us and do that kind of stuff? The same thing happened. We were providing shoes for a bunch of children in foster care. Shoes are a difficult thing. If you've ever had foster children, my wife and I have, and they almost always come in socks. And then they outgrow their shoes roughly every 13 minutes. <laughs> and so getting shoes is a big deal. Getting nice shoes is an even bigger deal. And we had that on our budget. And Casey Pruitt was helping to run that ministry, and she put a little thing out to see if anybody wanted to help, and next thing you know, they provided all of the funds that were needed, and we didn't give any of it. It was amazing. We have a project called Project ESA, and I just want to tell you this, this is a, we don't normally do these for out of state. We have our missional partners around the world, and we did give to those, Africa, India, uh, things like that. But I also want to talk to you about this one. Um, Issa, um, their daughter, has a rare skin disease, creates incredible sensitivity to her skin. And what I mean, this wasn't a huge give, but it, it's huge for their family. Not, not every big give is big monetarily, but it is always big compassionately. When I say her skin is sensitive, I mean she can't have seams in her clothes because she breaks out. Like, she has to use all special things. And if you know anything about that, all special things cost lots more. And so we got a chance to step into that family's life. They were blown away and in tears 
just to know that a church that they have never walked into cared enough to provide for their daughter. I was so thrilled by that. We have a, a program here called Mother's Day Out, and we threw a secret party for our Mother's Day Out teachers. They work a lot. They spend a lot of time with a lot of kids during the week. And the truth is, we've gotten to know them over um, the last six months, and they all have lots of different things going on in their life. And so we threw them a party, and we gave them some gifts, and we blessed them with some little financial gifts. And then we had some others in that group that we found out that there were bigger needs, and we got a chance to meet those as well. And that was awesome. We partnered. This was one of those cool last-minute things because other people kept giving money. We kept looking for more places to give money away. It was the weirdest December we have ever experienced because the more we gave, the more you gave, and the more you gave, the more we had to find to give it away. So much so that we're having to roll our big give into January because... Literally tens of thousands of dollars came in in addition to what we were giving, and we were just like, you're killing us. <laughs> I mean, it was beautiful. Don't get me wrong, and please don't stop. It was an amazing thing, but it allowed us to say yes to this. There was a, uh, there's a school. It's Freeman Elementary. Um, they are a school that is entirely on free and reduced lunches, which means every one of their kids uh, is supposed to be in a financial impact that is negative in their life. And we got a chance to bless them. The school itself put together a thing, and they said, hey, we bought coats for all of our kids because most of our kids don't even have coats, and we're 22 coats short. And they called us. I just love that people call us, that they call and go, hey, we heard you guys give away free money. Uh, can you help us? And, of course, our, we immediately said yes. And it, it, it wasn't a huge give for us, a little over $500, but because of that, um, we had people that came up here that day, went shopping that day, and delivered those coats that day, so that 100% of the kids at that school had coats for the winter. We have our angel tree here in-house, and it happens the same way it does every year. We put a ton of names on a tree, and we go, we'll see if all these get taken up in the next couple of weeks, and then they all are gone by the end of the first service. Not the first Sunday, the 1045 people are all walking around going, where are all the names? And we're like, come at nine. <laughs> uh, so we actually went looking for more names and got them. And because we did, we had over 100 kids that were sponsored by you, and they had Christmas because of the generosity of our church. Man, can we just thank God for that? So I want to show you a quick video, and then I'll tell you a little bit of a recap of that. But we're not done celebrating, so stay with me. Here we go. We didn't tell you about all the schools, and we didn't tell you about all the nursing homes, and we didn't tell you about all the rent payments and mortgage payments, and we didn't tell you about the medical needs, and we didn't tell you about a whole bunch of other things. But I want you to know they happened, and I want you to know they made a tremendous impact. On average, for the Big Give... We do every year somewhere in the neighborhood of around 24, 25, 26 total projects. This year we completed 54. Um, we've had several projects that will spill over into the beginning of January, and we've got lots of money that will still go out. But as of right now, and this was difficult to get to because you kept being generous. You kept giving and kept giving, and still, in spite of all of your blessing and giving, we still spent over $100,000 in three and a half weeks to give away to other people to bless them during the Christmas season. And that's an amazing thing, and that number will go up, and we will have a final number for you here in probably four or six weeks where we can tell you exactly how much we gave, but can we just as a church praise God for that generosity? I'm going to go quick, but I don't want you to miss this. We celebrate because in 2023, we finally hit, after eight and a half years, 541 baptisms. 95 of those happened in 2023. Um, and at our Christmas services last week, we got to share the gospel with approximately 1,700 people, including our children. Uh, in, our, in terms of new people, um, there's been just an influx of people that have been coming into our church, and we are so blessed by that. We don't keep track of every person. We're not like metrics, numbers, church, but we can tell you this. We have spent more money on coffee and toilet paper than ever before in the history of our church. Uh, 
We've had to expand our parking lot twice in the last six months. Wednesdays at Crossroads, we had more people in discipleship and more discipleship groups than ever. In 2021, we had 10 connect groups. In 2023, we had 22, not including Wednesday night groups and age-based ministries. Our family ministry doubled since 2021. There have been 225-plus new families that have registered for the first time in our children's area in 2023 alone. That means... And they all have the kazoos in here this morning. Um, we average 175 children in that area. Our student ministry in 2021 had about 35 kids. They're averaging over 90 in 2023. Awana went from 13 kids in 2021, now average over 95. Our young adult ministry launched in 2021, and it had two college-age adults. And now... 30, and I was tell you, I was at their Christmas thing. There was probably 50 people in that room. It felt like um, there is a ton of growth in that age group there. And that's the age group, by the way, that people say want nothing to do with God. I'm going to tell you, they do. They do want something to do with God. And I'm grateful that we have a ministry for them. We were able to give more over the last 12 months than we have ever given to help more people than ever. We have our joy group, which is our 50-plus group. It's one of the largest, most active ministries in our church. We've had to grow our staff, including internships, and it's not just internships here. Our internship program that we pioneered last year is now offered at four other churches. Our region program takes over our entire campus on Monday nights, and in 2023, it included our student ministry, and we had our first graduation of students in the region program. We have had training sessions for foster and adoptive families. We launched a school and a Mother's Day Out program, and there's about 42 kids that are up here in those programs every single uh, week. We have mission, in, in 2021, we sent zero people on mission trips. Uh, in 2023, we had over 50 people go out on mission trips. In 2024, there's already a team of, Zach, how many? Africa? 15 that are going to Africa in February. Um, this sounds weird, but we have a funeral team. That doesn't sound like a celebration, but I'm going to tell you why it is because they have blessed dozens of families that are going through loss, and in the process, we do not charge them a dime. We have saved thousands of dollars to families who desperately needed that help and for somebody to care for them. We have a counseling team that just completed an over nine-month process led by Ed O'Brien, uh, who's the very handsome man right in the back by the sound booth, um, and Ed uh, navigated them through an intense training course curriculum so that we can, at our church, offer biblical counselors here at Crossroads Church. Um, yes, that is a praise God moment, man, I tell you. We have more people on mission trips, more people at kids' games, more people in our youth uh, 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 summer camp, which was called Best Week Ever, and it was. It was awesome. And our Sundays grew. Even during the summer, we grew here on Sundays. It's a miracle. Um, we are also not done. God has opened up uh, doorways to sports ministry, more missions. We are now with our elders Working on church planting, we are hoping to plant more churches in the next year. And we also had a vision meeting where we came in before the church and we talked about the crazy idea of having to build again right here at our church. And I'll tell you, we were given such amazing feedback in that that it caused us to go back to the drawing board and look at some stuff. And I'm going to tell you, God moved in miraculous ways. And here in the next uh, week or month or two, we're going to get together again and we're going to show you everything that we have laid out um, and what God is planning because we want to see churches planted and we also want to see God's ministries here grow and we want to see both those things kick off right here in 2024. Can I get a good amen? Come on. God has also sent us an army of leaders and servants that continue to come in here. And if you ever look at any of our ministries and go, they've got that covered, that's not true. We need you. It's why God sent you. Because God is always up to something and he is looking to do more. I want to wrap up by going back to the passage I read to you and I want to end with this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together, and they held everything in common. And they sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple, and they broke bread from house to house, and they ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And every day the Lord added to their number. Who added? The Lord, the Lord added 
to their number those who were being saved. And church, I want to say a couple of things as I wrap up. The one is, thank you for your generosity, and I pray that you continue to be generous in that because I promise you we will stay committed to the call of being generous with those resources. God has blessed us unbelievably. I told my wife the other day, I said, it's almost hard for me to imagine where we were eight and a half years ago and where we are today. And I'm just so grateful to God for that. That is faithfulness that you have showed, and that is the unbelievable faithfulness of an almighty God. And I also want you to know this. We just read this passage in Acts, and I, I think a lot of people look and they go, man, that's cool, but I mean, God doesn't really do that stuff anymore. And I'm gonna tell you this, there is nowhere in the Bible you will find that. They will not find anywhere in the Bible where it said that those things have stopped. Those people were doing unbelievable, supernatural, miraculous things by the power of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is still alive and well today. And we can do, come on. This is what happens when God's people, filled with the Spirit of God, filled with supernatural joy, filled with unbelievable Holy Spirit celebration, this is how they acted, and it is our turn now. And so I want you to say now to God when he is calling on you. And for you, I just want to say that might come in two forms. One is maybe now, today, is the day of your salvation. Don't put that off. Don't be like the guy Felix I talked about and say, maybe next week or next year I'll become a Christian. Do it now. Simply say, Jesus, thank you for your commitment to me. You died for me. I receive your forgiveness. I repent for my sins. Wash away my sins. I need your gift of salvation. Be my Lord and Savior. If you say anything, like just communicate that to God. Let us know you today can be the day of salvation for those who believe. And then also for the rest of you that are believers, man, you are on mission right now. The most dangerous word in the Bible is tomorrow. Let's don't put off to tomorrow what God has called us to do today. Let's pray. God, thank you for your ministry, for your church, and God, for the unbelievable things that we have gotten a chance to see you do. God, I am so grateful for a day where we can just stop for a moment and be reminded of all of the incredible things that we have to celebrate to be reminded of all the things that you've done, of the lives that have been transformed. And I count myself among them. My life is different because of what you have done and taught me this year. I'm not the same pastor I was in 2022, and I pray at the end of 2024 I will say the same thing about this year. God, I pray you continue to grow me and challenge me and change me and shape me because I'm not perfect, I'm not done, and I know you're still working on me, and I'm grateful for that, God. But I'm also grateful that I'm not who I used to be. God, that you have called me out of darkness into your marvelous light. And God, I know that that's the same testimony that this room, almost every person in this room would say the same thing. They say, I'm just grateful to God for who I am today. That our God is a God of miracles. Our God is a God of change. Our God is a God of transformation. Our God is a God of hope. And there is no other name that we can call on that we will be saved. God, I pray that as we stand today in, in a moment after this prayer, as we rise, as we worship, as we sing, that a spirit of celebration would go through this place. And God, we would scream out, cry out, sing out with hands raised, with hearts raised, with mouths wide open. This is our God. This is who he is. He loves us. He saves us. And we are so grateful for that. We love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Stand together, church, and let's have a spirit of celebration as we sing. Come on.